Actually, as we get started, I want to just kind of share a little bit. I've, uh, actually, I'm supposed to dismiss the children at Children's Church. Aaron's over there waving at me. So if there are any kids that need to go, now would be the time for them to go. I, I was thinking this morning just in preparation for today's message and just uh, kind of thinking about some of the things that are going on in people's lives. Uh, for each of us, there have been things that have taken place in our lives, and some of them we would very quickly and easily define them as good. Um, somebody gave you a bunch of money. That's a good thing. Somebody, um, somebody did something to you. They betrayed your trust. That would be a bad thing. And it's easy to tell the difference between the two. And often what we, what we do is we determine whether it's good or bad based on our feelings about the situation. But what I want to encourage you with this morning as we get started is to realize that even those things that are bad can actually turn out for something good. The things we perceive as a negative, God can use for something really good. Um, I was with uh, uh, Mr. Pinion, whom Richard just prayed specifically for. I was with him last night. He's 91 years old, fell flat on his face, actually broke his neck in the process. Uh, broke his nose as well, some other injuries. But um, honestly, that's kind of, I look at it, it's a really bad thing. And it's hard for me to understand how it can turn into something good, yet God's Word tells us that He causes all things to work together for those who are called according to His purpose. In other words, He's going to work even in the midst of this quote-unquote bad thing. What is it that got you where you are today? Every one of us has gone through some really good things. Every one of us has gone through some really bad things. But maybe that's what was necessary for you to become the person that God created you to be. I want to encourage you today to simply be grateful for the path that has gotten you here, even if some of those things you, you maybe didn't want. Um, it was the summer of 1990. I was at a youth camp in Roanoke, Virginia, where this 17-year-old, soon-to-be college student surrendered my life to Christ. Uh, it was at that moment that in many ways, I looked at that as a life-changing moment, but the reality was that it wasn't just that one moment that changed my life, but every moment moving forward. Often what happens is we, uh, we tend to look at salvation as being this one-moment thing, and we celebrate when that one moment happens. If an individual prays uh, for God's forgiveness. Immediately we celebrate that. By the way, we should. In fact, we're told that even the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who comes to repentance. So that's a good thing. But what we fail to recognize so often is that salvation is not the finish line. It is simply the starting point. It is where we launch out. And from that moment forward, we will hopefully continue to grow in Christ. Actually, the passage that I read with you last week came from Matthew chapter 28, where it addressed this. And it said in verse 18 to 20, Therefore, go and make disciples, not make believers, but make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The point is that it's not enough for us to just believe. We now must become his disciples. We must grow and become all that God would have us be. Um, I want to encourage you today to recognize that uh, God desires more of us than what we give just by saying we believe. God desires to know us and for us to know him personally. He desires us to, to genuinely look through his eyes at the world that he created uh, God desires more for us, not just of us. I think sometimes we think, well, you know, God expects this of me. He expects this of me, expects this of me. 
God desires for us. He desires that we would experience all that he has. And it is far more than what we sometimes settle for. Uh, So anyways, I want to share a passage of scripture with you this morning. And uh, we're going to look specifically at what it means to be a disciple. And what are some of the things that we ought to be doing. Uh, There are certain things God blesses us with. And sometimes we look at them as obligations, things that we have to do. When in reality, they're really awesome things that God gave as a blessing to us. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you want to go ahead and turn there, we're going to look at verses 14 to 17. In these verses is it's kind of like a it's right in the middle of a, a long passage that Paul is writing to Timothy and Paul has been kind of a mentor to Timothy he's kind of showing him this is what it is for you to to be a man of God these are the things that you ought to be doing and Paul's speaking from experience he has been an incredible witness to Timothy but this is what he challenges him with this morning in And it's the same passage that Richard just read to you, but 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 to 17. This is what it says. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, we're going to look today at least one element that ought to be present in the life of believers, but this is not a thorough review of what it takes for us to be children of God. I'm actually teaching a group on Wednesday nights. Uh, It's actually a discipleship class. This is more of uh, just kind of a a shot in the dark. We're just really quick hitting on one particular item. And I want to challenge you today to consider for yourselves how this directly applies with you. I'm going to give you a couple of challenges, some things that I want you to work on. But more than anything, realize that this is just one step in the process of becoming the disciples that he called us to be. I was with my six-year-old son yesterday, and we were talking specifically about fire. We were sitting around a fire pit, and uh, we were actually burning some boxes, and he's telling me all about uh, what he's learning at school. He's learning about stop, drop, and roll. You guys probably remember that from when you guys were in school, and he's telling me about how the smoke is just as dangerous as the fire is, and uh, there's great knowledge and wisdom that I'm learning from my six-year-old. While we're having having this conversation, it turned back to uh, just some experience that I had growing up. Our family, we had a house fire. Uh, I guess I was probably about his age when it had happened. Um, We lost a good portion of almost everything that we had. And um, I remember I was at the, the babysitters at the time and the fire trucks go by. And of course, what do all the kids do? They want to chase the fire truck and they want to try to go see where he's going. Well, I ran into a problem because I wasn't allowed to cross the street. So I couldn't go as far as the fire trucks did. But some other kids did. We just went back to the babysitter's house and all of a sudden the kids start coming back and they're saying, hey, it's, it's your house. It's your house. I don't remember a whole lot of what I was thinking. I do remember a little bit later in the day, my mom coming and she was crying and uh, it was really a, a, a difficult thing. As I'm telling this to Michael, I, I told him we lost just about everything. He said, did you lose your TV? 
I said, yeah, we, we probably lost the TV too. He said, did you lose your tablets? And before I could answer, he said, oh, never mind. That was in the olden days, so you probably didn't have any tablets. To tell you the truth, there was a part of me in that very moment, he kind of hurt my feelings, so I wanted to show him how in the olden days we'd give out whoopings. Um, but then I realized that what he said was actually correct. We didn't have stuff like that. A lot of things have changed since the olden days. A lot of things are new that we didn't have back then. There are things that we had back then that we don't have anymore. And there's a part of us as if, it's almost as if we, we look on the olden days as being rustic and we didn't really have anything and it's something we dread and we're ashamed of. When in reality, the olden days are something beautiful. Uh, it was during those days that, at least for me, the foundation was built that I was able to become the man that I am today because of what happened in those olden days. There were things that I was taught that they affected me and the way I think about things today. There are things that I saw and they affected who I am today. And, and it'd be easy for us to try to cast aside our heritage but in reality, we probably ought to embrace our heritage. There is much to be learned from our past and much that can benefit us. I'll tell you, there's been some bad things. Remember, I talked about the bad and the good. If those are the things that God uses to help us become the people that God wants us to be, then really, is it all that bad? I know. Somebody loses their loved one. It's bad. I get it. But if God uses that to help you become the man or the woman of God that you're supposed to be, we have to trust that he is still in control and he will continue to use that. I want to challenge you to begin with, and we see it in our passage here today, that the first thing we must do is embrace our heritage. The passage that we looked at earlier in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 to 17, it identifies, first of all, it says, but as for you, continue in what you have Learn and become convinced of. So you've already got this foundation. You've got this heritage. You need to stay the course. Don't, don't stop doing the things that you do already. Don't stop believing the things that you do already. The reality is that there are some things from our past that we must go back to. Do you remember when you were a child? When you first surrendered your life to Christ? Maybe you were an adult when it happened. Do you still believe that God is able to do the things that he did back then? The first thing that we see that we are to truly embrace of these olden days is the teachings about Christ. This would include all the things that the apostles taught, all the things that they did. Remember last week, we also looked at Acts chapter 2, verse 42, where we're told that the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. Well, what did they teach about? They taught about Jesus. Taught about the things that he said and the things that he did. Uh, they talked about the incredible miracles. Can you imagine being in their shoes, seeing thousands of people set, fed with five loaves of bread and two fish? Can you imagine seeing people who were healed, people who were even dead, being brought back to life? These guys had seen firsthand incredible things, but it was all about Jesus. They saw the way people treated Jesus, and they saw the way Jesus treated them. What they saw was someone who truly was who he claimed to be. When we talk about the teachings of Jesus, it goes beyond just the sermons that he preached, but the way he lived his life. 
As we look back at our heritage, the foundation of what we believe, we must begin with Jesus Christ. What is it that he desires most of all? Who he is, us knowing everything about him and him knowing everything about us and him loving us anyways. That's where it must begin. Now, I will tell you, our heritage is very unique. We're blessed because, first of all, our heritage does begin with Jesus Christ. What he did for us, the salvation that comes through the cross, uh, the, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection that comes. So we not only see Christ defeating sin, but he also defeats death through the resurrection. That is an incredible foundation. But I'll tell you that the foundation isn't just with Jesus Christ. He, he's a part of it. Our heritage is not just Jesus Christ. I was reading recently on uh, this denomination. We're a part of what's called the Wesleyan Church. The Wesleyan Church gets their namesake from John Wesley. John Wesley was an Anglican minister who went out of the way to proclaim the good news and really to call people to a deeper walk with God. Uh, not everybody liked that message, so much so that I told you he was an Anglican minister. He actually gets kicked out of the Anglican church, basically. He never really gets kicked out. He just gets kicked out of the pulpit. They won't let him preach anymore. But he declares, the world is my parish, and he goes outside and he finds places to preach. He preaches in parks, he preaches in cemeteries, basically anywhere that someone will stop and listen, he'll stop and preach to them. I recently read about this, and uh, he actually preached on average for his entire life, three to four sermons per day. That's a lot of preaching. This guy, no matter what they did, he wasn't going to stop. Part of the reason they wouldn't give him a pulpit was because he was calling people to a more devoted life than what even the church wanted. Well, he wasn't really as much of a rebel as everyone thinks he was. Um, actually, his father was more of a rebel. Uh, his father, was his name was Samuel Wesley, and Samuel Wesley was an Anglican minister as well. And Samuel Wesley... Um, lived in what was called a rectory. We call it a parsonage where it's, it's basically a church-owned house. He proclaimed a message of holiness to the people of his church, so much so that they hated him. During the time that he was at his church, twice they, the people of the church set fire to the rectory trying to burn him out. Basically, they were so tired of his message. They hated him so much, and he would not yield because he believed God had given him this message. He refused to stop doing what he was supposed to do. So that's where the Wesleyan Church really begins. He, he actually starts what's called the Methodist movement. But do you know, the Wesleyans come from much more than that. Did you know that one of the primary influences during the fight against slavery was the Wesleyan Church? The Wesleyan Church was perhaps the loudest of voices. The Wesleyan Methodist movement was perhaps the loudest voice standing against slavery in all of the United States. Actually, the, there's a, a church that's up here on Southern Wesleyan's property. It's called Freedom's Hill. It was a church in Alamance County, North Carolina, which... Uh, just coincidentally, is also the same place where I first pastored in Alamance, North Carolina. And that church was the first voice in the South of holiness. Basically, they stood against slavery and the people didn't receive it very well. If you were to go inside that building today, you'll still see bullet holes and you'll see blood stains on the floor and even on one of the pews. The bullet holes and the blood stains come from the church pastor's family. 
because they gave their lives for the message of holiness, standing against slavery. Now, we, we don't really pay much attention to that, but I want you guys to catch something here. We have a great heritage, and we need to cling to that heritage. We need to be a people that is still concerned with those who are broken and those who are hurting. We need to embrace the fact that it's not just about us, but it's about making a difference in the lives of other people. That is the heritage that this church, this denomination has, and we should rejoice over it. And there are many other things that the church chose to do, but it began with the teachings of Christ. They believed that if Jesus Christ truly did die for all of humanity, then that included slaves, and therefore they couldn't sit silently as people were being abused and even killed. They believed that the teachings of Christ were more than some abstract idea. It had to affect the way they lived, and they had to be able to use this to make a difference in the lives of other people. If we are to embrace our heritage, we must first embrace the teachings of Jesus Christ and allow those teachings to impact who we are so that not only we can be transformed, but we can become a light and a hope to a world that desperately needs it. The second thing that we are challenged with here in this passage is as we embrace our heritage, not only to embrace the teachings about Christ, but the teachers of Christ. In Timothy's case, his primary teacher has been this guy, Paul, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is a, at least at one point in his life, he is a well-respected man. He is born into a great family that is somewhat successful. He ends up with a very good quality education, probably is one of the most intelligent people of his time. He is on the fast track to success if he would simply stay the course, yet God takes him from his course to God's course, and he changes not only Paul's life, but all of Christian Christianity through Paul. You see, Paul one day is on the road to Damascus, and while he's on his way, his goal is to simply persecute Christians when he gets there. He's going to have them arrested. Many of them will actually be killed. But on his way, God moves in a mighty way and miraculously blinds Paul. I think that there might have even been a little bit of symbolism that God was actually going for here, because even though Paul had all this knowledge and education, Paul was truly blinded in a spiritual sense. Here he is, he thinks he's spiritual, he thinks he's religious, but in reality, he is standing in the way of the one true living God in this incredible move that is taking place. And God, in many ways, wants Paul to recognize, you have been blindly pursuing the wrong thing. Paul ends up in Damascus, and this guy named Ananias comes to him. And Ananias literally lays hands on him. And the scales that were on his eyes, the blindness is all of a sudden removed. Physically, and I would say even spiritually. In that moment, the Apostle Paul is transformed. The Apostle Paul would then go on to minister. Uh, By the time he writes this letter to Timothy, he has been pastoring for about 40 years. That includes time as an evangelist going from town to town, telling the good news of Christ. That includes times of suffering. This is a guy who knew what it was to have hardship. This is the guy who, he was shipwrecked. He was put in prison on multiple occasions. At times, he probably had to deal with hunger. He certainly was hated by most people. This was a guy who, at one point, is bitten by a serpent. And you look at it and you say, why? 
We just talked about who he was. This guy had everything. He had a good family. He had a good education. He had all the opportunity in the world. Why would he choose a life like this when he could have had all that? And the reason is because he had had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And he didn't see Jesus as just some rebel who was leading a cause against the Jewish faith. He didn't see Jesus as just some man, but he saw Jesus as truly being the Messiah, the only hope of all humanity. He saw him as being the King of kings and the Lord of lords. What I would suggest to you today is every one of us has probably had someone like a Paul in our lives. Individuals who we would look at and say, you know what, that's what it is to be a man of God. In Paul's case, he has been pouring himself into Timothy, helping Timothy to grow, to become the man that he's supposed to be. All of 1 Timothy, that's what it's about. All of 2 Timothy, that's what it's about. The time that he spent with Timothy before, that's what it's about. He wants him to become all that God would have him be. Who are the people in your life who have played a role in you being who you are today? In Timothy's case, he had Paul. Someone who, man, he could have done all sorts of things, but this was the thing he knew God called him to do. I'll tell you, probably the most difficult thing is when those people that we refer to like a Paul don't measure up like a Paul. They bring a message of hope and truth, but they don't necessarily live the life that they're supposed to live. Probably everyone in this room has had such an individual at some point in their life. The Apostle Paul said, be imitators of me, just as I also imitate Christ Jesus. And I, I begin by telling you, I'm sorry that not everybody could make that statement. I hate that there have been those who have let us down. They've not been the godly example. They've not lived the truth that they preached. But I also want you to know this. In spite of who they have been, the message is still true. Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. He is your only hope. And I'm sorry that other people have not been what they're supposed to be, but my goal is to be able to live in such a way that I can declare, as Paul did, be imitators of me, just as I also imitate Christ Jesus. My request to you is that you would be that kind of person as well. You see, we're talking about the people who influenced us, our heritage, but what you also need to realize is there is a generation that's coming up behind us. And they need desperately for you to be that kind of person because you're helping to establish their heritage. There's going to come a day where this church will exist and it will be solely based on the people that come after you. And they're going to either be people who reflect Jesus Christ or they will reflect the same immorality that we have sometimes brought in. We need to decide, much like we look at the people who, got, who came before us, we need to decide whether we will truly lay that kind of foundation for them. I want to challenge you. I don't know the people you've had in front of you. Maybe you've had great people, and you've never had anybody let you down, as in not being the good spiritual role models they're supposed to be. If so, that's awesome. Embrace it. Continue to walk in their footsteps. You be the one to take it to the next level for the next group that comes behind us. But if you've had some who have not measured up, Start a new path. You be one who continues to walk the journey 
if you get discouraged, if you have times where sin continues to weigh in on you, continually go back to Christ and allow Him to transform who you are. Remember, it's not the act of salvation, but it is the continuing move of discipleship that matters. I want to challenge you with that. We must all continue to grow as disciples. Let me challenge you with this. As I ask you about your heritage, consider what led you to faith in Jesus Christ. Consider the things that took place to get you to a point where you were ready to respond to his grace. Now consider how things have changed in your life. In that moment, did you believe that God could do anything? Did you believe that God could even change the world through you? What I will tell you is that nothing has changed. He can still do anything, and he can still change the world through you. Go back to your heritage. Go back to what you knew was true to begin with, because it hasn't changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It doesn't change. You can know that the same God who called you, who said he would equip you, he is still here, and he is still calling you, and he is still equipping you. He wants you to be the world changer that he created you to be. What about the people who have helped you become the person you are today? How are you doing at walking in their footsteps? Again, if they were incredibly godly people, I don't want you to make a new path. I just want you to walk the exact same path. If they haven't been, it's time to turn and make things right. Because there's a generation behind you that needs that. The next challenge that I have for you today from this passage is for us to not only embrace our heritage, but to embrace the Word of God. This is where we start talking about what's called spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are a gift from God. It is an opportunity for us to get to know Him better. There are a lot of different tools that God gives that help us in the area of simply knowing Him better. They can include things like prayer. They can include worship and fellowship. All kinds of things. The one that is identified here is the Word of God. It is spending time reading the Scriptures. I'm going to tell you that uh, reading the Scriptures every day will not save you. Don't get me wrong. I want to encourage you. Make sure you're reading your Bibles, and we'll get to that in a moment. But I want you to know that the Word of God, reading it by itself, will not save you. But what I will also tell you is by spending time in God's Word, it will give you the roadmap to salvation. You want to know what it is to be a child of God? You want to know how to experience God's grace? Start by getting back to the Word of God. This roadmap to salvation is revealed in so many different ways throughout the Scripture. Not only does the Scripture reveal the heart of God and His love for us, but it also asks and answers questions that need to be made clear. Questions like, what must I do to be saved? Or how can a man be born again? Or when will the coming of the Son of Man take place again? These are great questions, and they're all found in the Word of God. I, I know that last one, we're not really sure when it is. The question is asked, and basically God says, no man knows the day nor the hour. So the question is there, but what we know is that it is coming. There's coming a day where Christ will return. Well, the Word of God tells us all about it. It gives us a glimpse of what these things will be like. We need the Word of God, if for no other reason, to help us along this journey so that we are able to recognize the things that are taking place around us. I will tell you that um, 
I can give you a lot of ideas, and it's very beneficial to talk with other Christians. It's good for us to have fellowship with one another, but that fellowship can never replace the value of spending time in God's Word. I'm not going to give you a specific assignment. You have to do this. You have to do that. But I'm going to tell you, every one of us needs to spend time in God's Word. It won't be because we read every single day that we're saved, but by reading God's Word, we will know what it is to be a child of God. You know, we live in a culture that would suggest that there are many ways to salvation. Some would say that there are other gods that can get you there and that all roads lead to the same thing anyways. There are some that think that your good works will get you to salvation. And sure, there are, there are benefits to being good people, but I'm going to tell you that those good works do not get you to salvation. Some think knowledge or education or even science will get you to salvation. But Jesus Christ in his word very clearly declares, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. What he is doing in that moment is he is giving you the road, the pathway to salvation. It is only through him. There is nobody else that can take you out of your life of sin and make you whole and healthy. I've come across individuals who have become really good people. Individuals who, I got a a buddy, he, he contacts me every year on the same date to let me know how many years he's been sober. And I celebrate that. This past year was at 34. That's awesome. 34 years of sober living. And this guy has done so, and he will, he will very adamantly tell you he has done so by sheer will. Well, I'm going to tell you, he can become a really good person, but that will not save him from sin. All of us can do a lot of really good things, but only Jesus Christ has the ability to save you from sin. He is the only one who can forgive you of the things that you've done in the past. He's the only one that can give you a hope of what happens after this life is over. Sure, you can become a a good person in this life, but what happens after you die? Only Jesus Christ gives you that hope. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Know that Jesus Christ is still the only way. It hasn't changed just because our culture has changed or because our circumstances change. Jesus Christ is still the only way. As we look at the scriptures, what we see is that all of the scripture that we have is inspired by him. I think the phrase that is used in here is, it is God-breathed, which means that it comes directly from him. He spoke it and it happened. Uh, If you go back to the moment of creation, uh, God spoke words and all of a sudden things happened. God said, let there be light, and light was there. God took mankind that he formed from the dust of the earth and then he breathed life into man and all of a sudden man became alive. God breathed his word out, basically revealing himself, putting himself into mankind. Here we have a statement of uh, really ownership. The word that we have in scripture, it is God's word. It's God actually giving his message to us. He gives it to us because he loves us that much. I was talking with some folks Um, this past week, and we were talking specifically about God's love for us. Do you know that the reason God gave us his scripture is truly to help us? It's not to point out our failures or our shortcomings, but it's so that we can experience him more intimately than ever before. 
so that we can be challenged and we can be changed. There are four things that, according to our passage, the Word of God is given for. I want to just touch on them real quick. Two of them are going to kind of blend together. Uh, But we see that the Word of God is helpful or useful for teaching. The things that we teach must be based solely on the Word of God. Everything that we talk about should be based on what we know about the Word of God. We must understand that our foundation cannot be based on somebody's opinion, but what the Word of God says. There have been many beliefs and practices that have plagued the church, and often it's because we have moved away from the Word of God as our foundation. It is helpful for us when we begin to teach on the Word of God. Now, here's the thing. It's hard to teach on the Word of God if you don't know the Word of God. It's hard to tell other people what Jesus wants, what God desires for you and your life if we're not spending time in God's Word to begin with. I know. For some of us, we live really busy lives, and it seems really hard to imagine us reading every single day. So I want to challenge you just real quick in a very simple way. Uh, Actually, I want to challenge you in two ways here. First of all, I want to challenge you, and, and I think anybody can do this, to read one verse every single day. That's it. I'm not asking you to read 20 chapters a day. We, uh, the reality is most of us won't read 20 chapters a day. But you could read one verse. Every single one of us could read a single verse. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to warn you ahead of time. What will happen is you'll read one verse and you'll think, well, that's not enough. And you'll want to read a couple more verses and maybe even a couple more verses after that. But the point is, you're starting a habit that will become very natural to you and it'll be much easier to to read. If, If you don't spend time in God's Word, how can you teach through the Word of God? You have to get to know the Word of God. So maybe for you, you say, well, there's 66 books in the Bible. Where do I start? Start with the Gospel of John. I'm not saying that it's for dummies, but it's kind of like the gospel for dummies. Um, it's the, the easiest one for you to be able to read and understand. It is written really to the layperson. It's, it's written in a way where anybody can grab hold of it. There are stories in there that will be very, very familiar to you. There'll be passages when you start to read, you'll think, oh, I remember that. John 3.16 is perhaps the most familiar verse of all Scripture. And the moment you start to read it, it'll be like, oh, yeah, I've read this before. And what happens is the Word of God, when you continually put it into your life, it does affect the way you think. Garbage in, garbage out. Well, what happens if you put really good stuff in? It will affect the way you think. Not only do I challenge you to read at least one verse every single day. I want to challenge you to intentionally, maybe once a week, try to memorize one verse. Say, I I can't remember stuff like I used to. And and I understand. When I was a kid, you could have given me just about anything to memorize, and I could do it. Now I can't even remember my kids' names. I refer to them as my 6-year-old or my 10-year-old. I'm not good with with memorizing stuff today. Actually, my 10-year-old is 11. So see, I just demonstrated exactly what my problem is there. I'm not as good at memorizing, but I'm going to tell you that if you begin to make the effort, God will reward that and he will help you to memorize the things that you need to memorize. Some of the verses, yeah, you can pick out some really easy ones to memorize and maybe that's what you want to start with. In John, we're told Jesus wept. That's, that's a really easy one you can memorize. Um, Maybe you want to learn one that's a little bit longer. I just challenge you, be intentional to get to know the Word of God. You'll be surprised, pleasantly surprised, 
when the word of God begins to flow out of you and you start thinking, well, I didn't even realize I knew that. The word of God is an incredible tool that will be alive in you. You say, well, I'm not even sure that the, the gospel, the Bible even matters now. It's 2,000 plus years old. Does it really even matter? And the answer is yes. Do you really think that God didn't know what was going to be happening today. I know the last thing that we have written was about 90 AD. That was from John as he wrote the book of Revelation, 90 to 95 AD, somewhere in there. You say, well, that was 1900, almost 2,000 years ago. Do you really think that God didn't know what the world would look like today? You say, well, that, that, that applied to them. It doesn't apply to us. Actually, yes, it does. There's nothing that catches God by surprise. He knows everything that we're going to go through today. And guess what? 2,000 years from now, if the Lord doesn't come back sooner, the Word of God will still apply to mankind. It will still be able to connect with where they are. Often the Word is referred to as the living Word of God. And it's because God somehow is able to interject into our own lives through His Word, regardless of what society looks like today. Actually, I was uh, trying to help some people understand this and uh, there's this idea. I think most of us, we are linear people. And what I mean by that is we live basically on a timeline. And there's a beginning point where we all begin and we call that birth. And then we exist and then our line ends at death. Well, picture the same thing with humanity going back to the moment of creation. And then you have all of the Old Testament and you have Jesus coming. And then you have everything that's happened after that. And then eventually until Jesus Christ comes back, and then we have a beginning and an end. What do you do with God, who was clearly present at the beginning, at the moment of creation? He existed before anything else was created, who was present all the way through the Old Testament, who is clearly present in the life of Jesus Christ, who is present in the New Testament church, and even in the 2,000 years that have since taken place, and however long it takes until the moment that Christ returns again. At what point on the line do you put him in there? The point is, he just always was. It's almost like we have this line and here you have God on the outside. And he's kind of there to interject into our lives all throughout. Nothing surprises God. And his word that was effective for teaching in the New Testament era is still effective today to teach us to become the people that we ought to be. The second thing that we see as a tool for God's Word, it not only is helpful for teaching, but rebuking and correcting. And I'm going to put these two together. How many of you guys like to be rebuked? How many of you like to be corrected? When you've done something wrong, you like to have somebody else tell you, you know what, you did that wrong. Nobody likes that. I hated getting whoopings when I was growing up, but occasionally I needed one. I hated getting yelled at, but occasionally that's exactly what I needed. The point is that nobody likes correcting or rebuking. However, sometimes it is necessary. I look at God's Word, and all throughout His Word, we see a heart of redemption and restoration. But sometimes it requires correction and rebuking. There's a story of Nineveh where Jonah went to the people and he brings them this message. You have been unfaithful to God and God is angry and therefore you are about to be held accountable. God will destroy you. The people repented. They cried out to the Lord. Did God destroy them in that moment? No. He actually blessed them. 
Why? Because they repented. God's heart has never been to rebuke or to correct, but sometimes it's what's necessary to get us where we need to be. This goes back to the good and bad at the beginning. Sometimes you go through good things that get you from point A to point B, and that's awesome. Sometimes you got to go through some of the rebuking and some of the difficulty just to get you to where you need to be with God. Know that God's greatest desire is for us to be in a right relationship with Him. And if that means He has to correct us occasionally because we're getting off the path, then that's exactly what He'll do. Rejoice over that. It's because He loves you. I remember working with a group of teenagers and one of the, uh, we were doing a, a question and answer time with the parents and the teens. And the kids are all complaining about their parents being so strict on them and having all these rules and don't understand why mom and dad won't let them do this and that. And there's one girl, her name is Vanity. A beautiful black girl, awesome girl. I still love her to death. She stands up and she says, Pastor Mike, can I say something? She said, I wish my mom and dad cared enough about me to tell me that I can't do something. I wish my mom and dad loved me enough to correct me when I know I'm doing something wrong. Do you understand that the correction and the rebuke of God is not intended to crush you, but to help you become the people that God created you to be? The Word of God is the tool that He uses. And often we look at it and we hear things and we think to ourselves, man, I, I know that's not what I'm supposed to do. We call that the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts us of what we know we're doing is wrong. It's God loving us because He's not okay with us walking down that path. He wants us to be right with Him. The last thing that we see here is that the Word of God is helpful in training in righteousness, helping us to become the people we're supposed to be. Training that identifies not a one-time thing, but a process, continually growing to be like Christ. And that's what God desires for you and for me. I want to challenge you, never be satisfied with where you are, because at that point you stop training. You don't have to go any further because you've already reached your finish line. But I'm telling you, you've never reached the finish line until the day you are in Christ's presence for all eternity. The Word of God becomes your tool to help you in that journey. The last thing that we see here in this passage is that we must embrace the work of Christ. Um, I think the way it's worded here in the, the passage, it says to us, uh, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God desires that we be thoroughly equipped for his work, not just to take it in. We don't become like sponges that just continually take in the word of God, but now we apply it. We go out and serve and we become that blessing to the world around us. We touch the lives of those who are broken and we give them the opportunity to also become disciples. Remember, it's to go and make disciples. We need to be those disciples, but that means we also got to be making other disciples. We need to be putting what we're learning into practice. It's not good enough for us to just say, yeah, I'm learning a lot. What are you doing with it? Are you living for Christ with all that you are? And if you are, I believe that God's going to do some incredible things through you. Allow his word to be your tool to know him better. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you, Lord, we are so grateful for you and for all that you do for us. We are grateful for your salvation that was extended to us. We know that you are the only way to heaven. And I assume today that every person in this room 
has received your gift of salvation, that they have been forgiven of their sins and they have the promise of eternal life. And as we come before you right now, we simply thank you for that. But we also ask that you would help us to go beyond, to go deeper than we ever have before, to in many ways connect more intimately with you. Lord, I pray right now that you would help us to dig into your word. Lord, where we have been slack in getting to know you, Lord, I pray that you would give us a passion to know you better than ever before. Lord, I pray that each individual in here today would be challenged, that they would feel a challenge to spend time in your word. I pray that you would encourage us uh, every, mo- every morning to take some time with you. Maybe for some it'll be the evening. Just encourage us to spend time getting to know you. Lord, help us to remember. I know that it's sometimes difficult. We've got all these other things going on in our minds, and the idea of remembering all of these things that are going on is just, it seems impossible. Lord, I pray that your word would not return void, but that you would pour into us and that we would truly get to know you. Help us to be disciplined. Lord, thank you for our heritage. Thank you for the people who have invested in us. Help us now to offer a heritage to the next generation. Help us to be models of Christ. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I want to encourage you, and the band's going to play and, and all of that as we get ready to, to head out, but I want to encourage you today to take serious this call that God has placed on you. Uh, he is not satisfied with just saying you're saved. He wants to know that you are becoming a reflection of Him. Allow the Word of God to help you do just that. So remember, if you can, read one verse. You may want to do more, but that's up to you. I'm encouraging you to read one verse, and then I'm also encouraging you to try to memorize a verse if you can. Thank you all for being with us. Go in peace, y'all.